Every day they would tell me that no matter what you tell us, we will never think of you less, we will never love you any less, we will never judge you. you know, nothing you can tell us will change your minds about adopting you or anything like that. It was the constant reminder that I'm loved, I'm safe, and they will do anything to make sure that I'm not going anywhere else. This is the Foster Movement Podcast helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Fuller. Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I'm here with Diego Fuller. Hey, Diego, how are you? What's up, Mr. Jason? How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm blessed. All right, good. Well, Diego, uh, you know, I was thinking about theme songs. Yes. You know, they take up a lot of brain cells. You know, you think about all of the theme songs we heard as kids. Right. Um, there's a lot of space in my brain that's like con- like all occupied. With theme songs. With theme songs, <laughs> right? Did you have a favorite when you were a kid? Uh, I've had a few favorites. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a few favorites. One well, was Captain Planet. I've yeah. never heard of that. You never heard of Captain Planet? I never have heard of Captain Planet. The one that says, Captain Planet, he's the hero. It's going to take pollution down to zero. <laughs> Captain Planet. I that bet everybody heard of that. One of the best awesome. cartoons. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, so, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of theme songs, right? right. So there's some that are like, well, there's just the music, and you just you hear the music, and it sort of it sort of makes you feel a certain way. Like Mash, mm-hmm. it was right. a show like that, right? Or the Andy Griffith Show, you know. And like I'm kind of dating myself here, but um, <laughs> but you know, it kind of evokes that feeling, right? Right. And there's other kind of theme songs that are like they they give the whole plot for the entire show in like yeah. one minute, like right. it's a summary of the whole show. They tell you everything so that you. Every time you know, you know, okay, here's the backstory to right, the show. Exactly. So like like Gilligan's Island, you know, they tell you what happened. Like every show, you yep. know what happened when they went on that three-hour tour. Um, you've got uh, Beverly Hillbillies, uh, the Brady Bunch, the Jeffersons, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Do you remember any of those? Fresh Prince, the one that says, In West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling that maxi, relaxing, it's all cool. Shooting some b-ball outside the school when a couple of guys that was up to no good. They started making trouble in my neighborhood, Jason. Got in one little fight, and my mom, she got scared. Said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel-Air. Nice. <laughs> one of my favorites, all-time well favorites. done. I bet there's about 100 people out there that just sung that oh, with they, me. They were, they were right there with you. That's <laughs> Thank awesome. you for not leaving me hanging, guys. Well, we're going to be uh, talking today to Trent Taylor, uh, 17 years old, uh, the youngest person we've ever interviewed so far on the podcast, and uh, just amazing young man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, kids in foster care, they uh, end up, all of us have a theme song. We have uh, some message that kind of continues to play on a loop. Right through our minds, and it tells us uh, about our own worth, Mm -hmm. our value, Mm -hmm. Um, and this is an example of where this young man had the opportunity uh, to change his theme song. Right. And he got a little help with that uh, from his foster and adoptive parents, and so we're going to get to hear uh, from Trent. 
here with Trent Taylor from North Carolina. Hey, Trent, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me here. It's my pleasure. So, Trent, tell me, when uh, did you first come into foster care? I entered the foster care system at the age of four. And what, do you remember that? I do. I remember basically everything from my past very vividly. So what do you remember about first coming into care? First coming into care, my first placement was a kinship placement. So I was placed with my grandparents, my mom's grandparents. So that was, uh, made it easier. I didn't really know exactly what was going on at the time, but that did make it simpler, you know. So I just, you know, for me, I just thought I was going to spend a couple of weeks with my grandparents. So. Hmm. And how long uh, were you there? I want to say a couple months. I'm not exactly sure how long. Okay. And then uh, what happened after that? After that, we were placed in a non-kinship placement. So with people, I had no clue who they were. I was placed with my older brother and my younger brother. Okay. And do you uh, remember what that felt like going to a place that was completely foreign to you? It was the scariest thing in my entire life. I had no idea who these people were, where I was, and why I was there. But the good thing was I was with my brother, so that made it a little bit easier. Wow. So you went into—how many different homes would you say you were in between I was four in and five different homes and five different schools. What were those transitions like? Again, the scariest thing in my entire life. Every time. Every time, because going to a new home is, is not pleasurable, you know, because you don't know— if you're gonna be fed, you don't know where you're sleeping, who these people are, where you are, you know. So it's it builds a protective emotional wall. Every move, I learned to just trust nobody because mm. I wasn't gonna be around long enough to trust anybody, and I was just so scared of everything. You know, I just learned to be afraid. So how did that how did that look when when you say that you built a wall and you didn't wouldn't trust anybody? What would that look like in the in the context of a home uh, that you would be in? Basically, what I did is I never let myself get too close to anybody. I didn't really let myself attach to anybody because I didn't trust anybody. I was afraid I was going to get hurt or any or something like that. So I kind of would just keep my distance and try not to get too close to anybody. Was there any particular? Um, foster care placement that stood out to you as 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 better or different than others and if so why was that well the one that was better in my opinion was the foster to adoptive placement and that was better because i really felt genuine love there and i thought and i felt that their motives were pure and they acknowledged my pain and they allowed me to mourn the loss of my siblings and everything. And they came under me and they weren't like a, they weren't my drill sergeant, you know, they were my parents. They were, they coached me, they helped me, you know, they brought me closer to God. They just, they did everything right. You know, they, they cried with me. They explained why I was feeling certain things and why certain things were happening. Mm-hmm. So they really just made everything clear. And it was a couple months, I want to say, before I was able to start to trust them, you know. And once I did, my whole life changed for the better. And what age was that? I was eight and a half. That placement with the foster adoptive family at eight. Mm-hmm. Now, did that family end up adopting you? Yes. At, and at what age? Were you I was adopted at nine years old. Okay. And um, even after you were adopted, did it did it feel permanent at that point, or did you always kind of wonder? 
it took a while, you know, because it did. I mean, because most kids just don't trust anybody. So it did take me a while to truly trust them and know that they're never going to give up on me. So after that time had passed, I did begin to trust them and it really felt like I was a part of the family. They made me feel that way from day one. So, What were the things they did that built your trust? Well, every day they would tell me that no matter what you tell us, we will never think of you less. We will never love you any less. We will never judge you. You know, nothing you can tell us will change your minds about adopting you or anything like that. It was the constant reminder that I'm loved, I'm safe, and they will do anything to make sure that I'm not going anywhere else. They told you that every day? Mm-hmm. Wow. When, was there a set a time or, or place that they told you that, or did they just make a point of it? Was it at bedtime, at, in the morning when you woke up? How did that, how did that look? It was mostly when I was having a tough time mm-hmm. and uh, when I was dealing with my past and everything like that, or when they, when, I, when they seemed that I was very stressed out or full of anxiety, they would let me know then. It wasn't a really a set time. It was when, uh, whenever it was the best time to say it. And even when it was just out of the blue, you know, we love you. You're safe. You're not going anywhere. So they kind of created a, a, a theme song of, of sorts yeah. over your life, right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so uh, you're 17 now. Yep. You're the youngest person we've had uh, <laughs> interview uh, on this podcast so far. Um, and you've been in that home now eight years. Yes. Um, and so uh, the teen years can be tough for any kid. Yep. Um, and given the just uh, the the difficult transitions that you mm-hmm. had growing up, um, talk about... Uh, that and how you've navigated that with uh, your parents. Yes. Yeah, so as I got older, I became more angry, I guess, because I under I was able to understand and comprehend what it had happened in my past. I, I became more angry towards my biological parents because they knew that we were being abused sexually, and they knew that we were experiencing domestic violence between them and they were neglecting us we were fed very little so and as I got older I'm like why why did they do this to me you know what did I do but my adoptive parents let me know this was not my fault this is not something I can control but also as I've gotten even older I've understood that you know God has a plan for everything and you know, and God is such an important part of my life, and that you know all my past experiences are what's made me who I am today, and I'm so thankful for them because I can help others. You know, I can help people and encourage them and let them know that they can move past their trauma, and it does not define who they are. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I like to um, call that. Uh, a child of destiny, mm-hmm. right? Because um, when you look at uh, different characters of the Bible, you have Moses who was sent down the river. Yep. You have Esther who uh, experienced some really difficult things um, and who lost her parents. And you have um, these different people throughout Scripture, Joseph who was thrown in a hole and then <laughs> put in prison and you know who experienced these horribly traumatic things as young people and yet... Um, what man intended for 
evil God intended for good, and mm-hmm. He took those lives and He transformed them into something um, that was used for His purposes. And uh, that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That's what God's doing and has done in your life. Yes, yes. What do you want to do uh, in the future, Trent? I want to continue studying trauma, especially early childhood trauma. So that way I can become a Christian counselor and a trauma consultant so I can, you know, counsel a couple hours out of the day. You know, I can take Medicaid to help these kids and I can just help them move beyond what I have moved beyond and get them to where I am now. And I'll go out in public speak even more. I will, you know, continue making curriculum and I will do in-home consultations. I'll get more specialized trainings, just anything I can get my hands on to help these kids and help them have a chance at life. Trey, you've written a book. Yes, I have. At 17. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Tell us about that. So my mom and I co-authored this book when, we were, when I was 14. So what we did was we went away for a week to Williamsburg, and all we did for hours on end the whole week was just write and then after that, we came home, we kind of put it aside for a little bit. And then we went through the editing process. And this whole time, you know, it was really difficult because I had to rehash every detail of everything. But the reason I wrote this book and wanted to write this book was to encourage others and, you know, and break misconceptions that just because you've been through foster care, just because you've been through domestic violence or sexual abuse or neglect, it doesn't define who you are. And it does not make you damaged or a victim. But if you can move beyond, it makes you a, a person who can help others. You know, So the main thing I do is to want to encourage these kids and encourage these adoptive and foster parents who are helping these kids. So that is the main reason we wrote this book. Hmm. What's the name of it? Shattered No More. Hmm. That's fantastic. So you go around, you speak. Yes, I do. Uh, you probably have the opportunity to interact with other kids yep. who are going through foster care. What do you say to them when you get a chance to talk to them? God's got a plan for you, you know, and I understand. And every time I see that, I see light in their eyes when they truly understand. I understand their pain and what they're going through, you know. So I think that's very empowering for them and for me. You know, because I went from, you know, a trailer park kid to a kid who's helping other kids who've experienced what I've experienced. So this is just so humbling for me. And, you know, and it's amazing what God has done in my life and what he's continuing to do in my life. You know, I, I don't share all these things I've done in my life to boast in any way. I do it to offer hope and encouragement to these parents and these kids that they can move beyond even the worst forms of trauma, and it does not define who they are as a person. Hmm. You're wise beyond your years, Trent. Um, wow. Uh, so when you think about um, the foster parents listening to this podcast or the advocates, what do you think is the most important thing that they need to know as they interact every day with kids who've come from trauma? They need to know that these kids are scared and they need to just come up under these kids and meet them where they are and acknowledge what's going on and then it just stinks. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who just truly and genuinely shows compassion for these kids and views these kids' behaviors as unmet needs because that's what it is, you know, because I remember that um, 
I'm not sure which placement it was in, but uh, I used to have some serious behavior problems due to anger and anxiety and things like that. And uh, they always saw it as defiance, but it's not. These kids, most of these kids, when it looks like defiance, it's usually them just frozen and scared. You know, something you said earlier, it sort of strikes me when you talk about that is um, your adoptive parents helped to introduce you to a new theme song Mm -hmm. for your life. And all of us, um, all of us have one. Yeah. Uh, whether we realize it or not, there's a there's a song that sort of it's like our our walk on music, you yeah. know, uh, <laughs> that 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 goes through our minds that sort of helps define who we think we are. Yeah. And what your parents were able to help you do was to change that change that theme song, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what you're talking about here is advocates and foster parents being able to come alongside kids. And help them change mm-hmm. that theme song and to understand that God has a plan for them. Yep. Thanks so much for spending the time with us, Trent. This has Thank been uh, inspiring. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor and such a privilege to just, you know, share what I've gone through to help others. So thank you for having me here. Awesome. Man, that interview with Trent just blew me away. I mean, he's 17 years old, and he's able to process yeah. his experience at such a mature level. Right, exactly. And one of the most powerful things he said to me that stuck out says, I learned to be afraid. I was like, wow, I mean, that's what a lot of foster kids go through. They're fearful because they're moving from place to place, and it's hard for them to trust people. And that he had to be so he had to be afraid of um, whatever situation he was going into. And I, man, that's I know that's heavy on his heart. Mm. Yeah, and and you know that speaks to that theme song that we talked about at the beginning. That um, his theme song was fear, right? Wow, because he that's what he learned. Yeah, and he said, you know, every time he moved, it was the scariest scariest thing mm-hmm. he could ever experience. Right. Wow. And uh, and then for him to have the opportunity to to change that. Right. To have somebody say, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, mm-hmm. we're gonna love you right. no matter what. No matter what. And you can't change that. Can't do nothing about it. That's wow. powerful. Every person needs to hear that. I'm telling you. Well we're gonna get to talk more about that with worship leader Robbie C., who leads worship and led worship at this last summit. Amazing, amazing musician and worship leader. Um, But he has experience with this whole idea um, in his own home as an adoptive dad. Mm. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation with Robbie C. I'm talking to Robbie C., uh, and Robbie is a pastor in Houston, Texas, and many of you will know him uh, as a worship leader who has uh, recorded a lot of music that you would recognize and have worshiped to over the years. And in addition to that, Robbie is also uh, an adoptive dad, and we are just uh, excited to have you with us, Robbie. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Jason. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, my, my last name is C. It's spelled S-E-A-Y, but most people mispronounce that. So thank you. You did a fantastic job on that intro right there. So just bravo. As we start this interview, there's some affirmation for you. Good job. 
All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I'm glad that you brought up affirmation because that's a lot of what we're going to actually be uh, discussing today. We're going to be talking about this whole idea of um, sort of the theme song that plays or the background music that plays uh, for all of us, but particularly in the lives of kids that have been in foster care. And what we can do as advocates, as adoptive parents or foster parents, to help um, change that theme song a bit. Uh, the, the interview we heard uh, earlier in the this episode uh, with Trent Taylor, uh, his adoptive parents did that for him. Uh, now, Robbie, uh, you know, I want to start by asking you a question actually about, about leading worship, because it dawned on me that when you lead worship, you're going into a room and all of the people that are joining you in that room um, they're all coming from different places. They may have been cut off in traffic uh, just outside the parking lot. They may have had a terrible, uh, awful, horrible day, and uh, they're entering uh, that space with all kinds of things on their mind. And And one of the roles that, that you play is trying to usher people into the presence of God and to um, kind of refocus their attention uh, on different things, on a different message, on a different um sort of narrative, uh, than they've been experiencing that day. Is there, what does it take to, to do that? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, Romans chapter eight tells us, you know, only the spirit of God can do the truly miraculous things in our lives. And it's taken me a long time to really say that and mean that even in leading worship, to be honest with you, because, you know, uh, you put a plan together, you got a, a set list of songs and you got, um, with all the intention and, and, um, and just hopes for what a gathering would be in terms of worship. But at the end of the day, the spirit of God must stir our hearts. And so, uh, you know, the, the language I like to use with our, with our band is that, you know, really our, our job is to send out the invite. And so we're saying to people, Hey, you are invited you're invited to come and to respond to God, but uh, you know it's it's really up to each of us whether or not we say yes to that invite, whether we RSVP and really um, respond to God. And and I, it's taken me a long time to have that kind of perspective. I think if you would have asked me that 15 years ago, I would have thought, well, man, I you know uh, I, I've I've got some I've got a plan for that. I've got some a methods <laughs> for that, and. Um, and the, the more that I've done this, I've just gone, man, the, tr the, the times of just true, uh, you know, uh, powerful worship with fellow believers, I've just sensed, wow, that really had very little to do with anything I planned out and very much to do with what the Spirit of God wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that, that principle, um, how does that translate or does it uh, to your home, um, to all of your children, uh, Robbie is the father of five, um, two uh, of whom uh, they adopted. Um, does that principle translate when you think about sort of changing the, the narrative or tone for your kids inside your home? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I mean, uh, you know, parenting's a piece of cake. Jason is nothing, man. We got this, that's, right? That's, and, that's what we always say. Yeah, totally. And, uh, it's like, you know, I referenced Romans chapter eight and it's one of my favorite 
passages in the scriptures, and I've studied that a lot lately. I preached that passage recently, and it actually says in there that, you know, um, we take a look at our lives and we respond by crying out to God as, as daddy, as Abba, Abba father. And it says in that, in that crying out, we are sons and daughters. And it says adopted sons and adopted daughters. But it also says in that passage, which is what I referenced, that only the Spirit of God can do that. And I just believe that. So, uh, I mean, more than any place in my life than with my kiddos, right, that only the Spirit of God can stir them. Now, do I have a role in that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I become a lens by which my kids will hopefully see the Heavenly Father but, you know, my lens isn't always crystal clear, and sometimes my lens is, is foggy, and I want that to be, uh, I want that, them to have a beautiful view of the love of the Heavenly Father. And so um, I just affirm your question because, man, I don't know that there's a, a better comparison to that than, than raising kids. When we interviewed Trent, uh, he talked about how his adoptive parents talked to him every day and told him every day, uh, and this is how they built trust with him, that no matter what he said or did, they wouldn't ever love him any less. Um, and obviously that's the, that's the message that, you know, we, we can only live that out uh, for others because God has done that for us, right? He loves us unconditionally. And, and it's obvious that um, the spirit of God has been moving in Trent's life when you, I mean, I was just blown away. Um, and my interaction with him is very obvious. God has moved in his life. Um, but like you said, um, God has used his parents, um, to speak that truth, uh, to him. And so God's spirit has, has used them in that process. When you think about your own parenting and, um, your own home, where do you see, um, God using you or trying to use you to speak truth in places and sort of change that theme song for your kiddos. I want their identity to truly be found in God. And that is just not something that I have uh, the power to do. And I think that's why even just this few minutes of conversation, just reminding us in Trent's life that the spirit of God was, uh, had filled up the lives of those foster parents and parents and, and for them to be able to speak that and to mean that. Um, I think one of the things I think is powerful about his story is that not only did he hear that, but he Mm. experienced it. Right. I mean, so it's one thing for me to open my mouth to my kids and say some things, but you, you know, as well as I do, it is the, it is the daily faithfulness of fatherhood and of motherhood that is, uh, that's, that's the eternal, I mean, that's our eternal work. That's got the eternal impact, you know? And so for him to hear that is awesome. And for me to say it, be inspired by that, to say it is is one thing, but man, for him to experience that and for my kids to experience that, that, that'll change the theme song uh, in, in the lives of young men and young women. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us and speaking truth into this space. You know, I love it that you actually um, have come back to the same theme throughout this interview with each question you came back to this idea of 
the spirit of God being the one that has to move in the hearts of men and women in order to, to make change in order to redefine who we know ourselves to be. And so you've created a theme song for us uh, in kind of coming back to that same refrain. So thank you so much for bringing us back to the truth of God's word. Man, it was so good to hear um, just Robbie C. Um, mm. perspective on changing the theme song of Foster Children. Yeah, he's great, huh? Man, it's awesome. Yeah, this has been a great episode. We're so grateful for Trent Taylor, for Robbie C., yes. um, and just helping us think through this. You know, the whole reason we do this podcast is because we believe as advocates, as foster parents, mm-hmm. uh, we can be better. Most definitely. And listening to the voices of those who've been there can help make us better. Yes. So one of the things uh, that we have done recently that I wanted to make sure everybody uh, knows about is that we've put some brand new things on our website. We've kind of changed some things around. We've done a little interior redecorating on the website at kfo.org slash foster movement. That's cafo.org slash foster movement. Chances are, if you uh, listen to this podcast, uh, one of these four things describes you. Most people uh, in the foster care world fit into one of these categories. Either one, you are trying to find your fit in foster care. You're trying to figure out what it is that you're supposed to be doing. You don't necessarily think you're ready to be a foster parent, but Mm -hmm. you know there's something for you. And there is something for everybody. So you can go to our website. You can find your fit in foster care. There's some great tools there for that. Secondly, uh, some people, they just want to become a great foster parent. They either haven't started the process yet or they already are a foster parent, but they're just looking for some resources and tools Mm -hmm. to help them do it better. And we have things for uh, those folks. Thirdly, we have... Um, for those who want to start a foster care ministry in your church, uh, you just have a passion for this and you feel like there's a lot more that your church can be doing. There's a lot of great resources on the website for that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, if you're ready to partner with others, to partner with other churches, to partner with agencies, to partner with the state in your community and start a movement, you want to start a movement in your county and in your state, uh, there are resources for growing a foster care movement where you live. So check out all four of those uh, on-ramps, we call them, at cafo.org slash foster movement. Um, if you want to check out the show notes from today's podcast, you can do that at fostermovementpodcast.org. Uh, also, come find us on Facebook at the Foster Movement Podcast page. Thanks for all you do to speak up for kids and families in foster care. We're here to help you do that until there's more than enough. This has been the Foster Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Hey, this is Jason and Diego again. 
Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know. That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast. It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing. Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. That's morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. Also, as you know, the Foster Movement Podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes. But listen, it's okay. Don't be sad. Here's why. Because there's more where that came from. Tell them, Jay. That's right. More Than Enough has produced a whole family of podcasts, one of which is called the More Than Enough Podcast. So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there. Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.